This is the Permaculture Podcast. I'm Scott Mann. My guest today is Eddie Garcia of Living Earth Systems. Eddie has over 30 years of experience living off-grid and observing nature, and he uses that body of knowledge to create closed-loop aquaponics systems that are both efficient and aesthetically pleasing. During the conversation today, Eddie shares with us how he got started, walks us through how one of these systems works, and gives us some simple ideas of how we can begin to harvest the micro-herds of bacteria, fungi, insects, arthropods, and many of the other creatures of a closed-loop, nature-mimicked aquaponics system. Let's go ahead and get to the conversation with Eddie, and I'll join you again afterwards. I think that having some really good examples in nature around me that I could observe the systems of nature and how they work in a small valley. The water comes from the mountain, down the waterfall, through the stream and into the ocean. And along the way, trees grow along the side of the river. They drop leaves. The worms eat the leaves into humus and things grow incredible. So I've had some really good examples around me being able to grow up in a small valley close to nature that I feel to incorporate some of the natural systems that I see around me and incorporate it into the systems of growing food. I think that's been an inspiration for me. So throughout your childhood, you were in this environment where you got to see the cycles of nature and it gave you a more holistic approach to garden design and natural systems? I think that's a great summary of that. That's pretty awesome. The idea of Mother Nature has this perfect system that's very holistic. Nothing is one size fits all in nature. It's a complex interaction of symbiotic relationships between the different creatures that form this perfect balance. And so in Hawaii, we grow a water plant. It's called taro. And it's one of the main uh, subsistence crops that have been around since the beginning of the Hawaiians have been in the Hawaiian Islands. You grow it in these beds that are tapped down with mud, so they hold water. And the water flows from one lo'i into the next lo'i. And that's like a classic in-ground aquaponic system. And one of the reasons why I wanted to talk with you when I heard about what you were doing is that you're doing something that's much closer to nature mimicry, as I understand it, than a lot of the aquaponic systems that we have in temperate climates where we have a lot of plastic barrels and, you know, you have styrofoam trays that are sitting on top of aquariums and using a lot of electric pumps and power and things in order to cycle nutrients through the system. And you're always measuring your different nutrient levels in order to make sure that those are correct and balanced. And if you need to, you're adding you know, synthetic or perhaps natural fertilizers to keep things going and to keep everything flowing. But my understanding is that with what you're doing through this direct nature mimicry and having the, is Hawaii a tropical climate? Hawaii is actually a subtropical climate. Okay. But you still have, it's fairly warm year round. So you have a system that you don't need to protect from cold weather in the same way that we might in like the Northeast, correct? Correct. And so through that, you're able to keep plants and animals alive throughout the year in your system. And are you using natural water flows then to help move this through? Like, can you kind of walk us through what um, one of your systems looks like? 
okay, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to also kind of give you uh, an overview of like basic aquaponics and how our system differs from an aquaponic system that you would normally see and how the idea of incorporating a more diverse holistic system that can balance itself because it's based on what happens in nature. Normal aquaponics that you see for the most part, they're based off a hydroponic system, which uses a chemical nutrient through an inert medium, runs it through. The system is basically just about sterile, and it allows the plants to grow directly off the nutrients. So people started getting into aquaponics, and they started to take a, a similar approach using a clay ball that really is in an inert medium, allowing a nitrosonomus and a couple other bacterias to build up on it that are nitrifying bacteria. And then the fish solids are taken out of the system, kept separate through a settlement tank or such. And the system runs fairly, uh, I don't know what the word I want to use for it is, benign, or it doesn't have much biodiversity to it. So it's kind of like mimicking a hydroponic system. Our approach has been to actually introduce several different types of creatures, from amphipods, which are little tiny shrimp creatures, which shed their skin. Their skin is then eaten by some of the bacteria that we introduce into the system and provides calcium that's soluble and available for the plants to be able to use. There's three different types of earthworms that come through the system, and they actually chew on some of the organic material and break it down and turn it into more stable available fertilizers such as worm castings that actually live in the system. So the idea of throwing several creatures, introducing mycorrhizal culture, beneficial nitrifying bacteria such as azotobacter and different things that can help the system balance itself, it becomes a little bit more like what you see in nature. If you go to a stream bed and you stick your hand in the mud and it stinks, it's usually anaerobic and out of balance. But if you stick your hand into a healthy part where the worms are chewing up the leaves, it has a good earthy smell to it. So when you change a system from this synthetic sort of mimicry of a system where you're mimicking a chemical system without much biodiversity in it, then you have to use a lot of pH test kits and you're looking for your nitrates and it's a little bit more technical where when you let a system naturalize, it's a little bit easier to take stock of what's happening by what it looks like, what it smells like, touch, taste. You, so there's like a familiarity you build with it as a natural system, which I think is really awesome. And that allows people to get out of this like super scientific mindset, which I think sometimes can limit people or it can intimidate them. And I think that's one of the reason, reason aquaponic systems have not been incorporated more into permaculture holistic systems. I think people tend to look at them like, oh, no, these guys are just limiting their self. Maybe that it's an industrial way of thinking or it's more sterile and it doesn't have so much of the holistic approach to it. So I think the idea of introducing living systems allows people to wrap their head around it and say, wow, I can incorporate this into a bigger picture. I can actually use this with permaculture and allow it to benefit it. So growing up in the valley, I had to be creative where my water came from the waterfall. My electricity came from solar panels. I would take cars apart and take the taillights out and hook them up to a car battery with a small solar panel that was available to me at the time. 
So I was really fascinated with technology and not going to school. I kind of got out of school really early, fourth, fifth grade, which was about as far as I made it. Uh, I was more inspired by nature and surfing and being close to what I love to do. So now as I make my living out of agriculture and building systems and turning people onto a more holistic approach to this, I realize the importance of bringing technology to nature with us. We live in a day and age where we've kind of walked away from nature towards technology. And so there's been generations of a gap of people who aren't very close to nature. So now we're really inspired to sort of bring people back to nature and include technology. All, most of our solar systems are filled, uh, I mean, most of our aquaponic systems or living earth systems are filled with rainwater and pumped by solar so that they're completely self-sufficient. Also, all of their byproducts build the soil and the earth around them, and we have to bring in zero inputs to feed them. Uh, also, they use 2% of the water of conventional farming. So there's a lot of advantages to these systems. I kind of going off on a rant on you guys there, but part of what we do is we want to inspire people to like inspire and empower them to realize that it's a little bit closer than they think it is. And if they're intimidated by the technical aspects of it, then it is possible to turn it into a more personal system. Like you learn how to take care of your cat or your dog or your aquarium. It's very similar. So there's like a bunch of different aspects and facets of it that I feel can attract people and can empower them to utilize aquaponic systems into it. So if somebody kind of wants to nerd out on the science and technology, which is something that I have a tendency to do, then there's an opportunity for that because they could still be running all the water tests and doing all the science and the experimentation if they like. But by using these earth-based and nature-based models for aquaponics, if someone wanted to, they can kind of move away from all of that as well and treat it more as if they might their garden, that they're now kind of a, a gardener and a fish herd of their aquaponics system. And they don't have to necessarily be involved in all the technical aspects as long as they're caring for the plants and the animals in the system. You got it. I like it. Fishered. Stewardship of your fish. <laughs> so if you come to one of our learning centers, I've built learning centers on Maui and even in Southern California and demonstration centers where we bring people in and we actually give them that hands-on. But I'm also a, a geek like that. I have microscopes and I have several 30 or 40 holding tanks that if I'm going to learn about how a pet... So we brought some of our projects from Hawaii to Southern California to experiment with them over here. I got tired of people telling me, oh yeah, you live in the most lush, beautiful valley in the world. Of course you can grow anything. Well, the soil in Hawaii actually tends to be not as nutrient rich as it is here in Southern California. There's tons of potassium and phosphorus in the soil here, which there's not in Hawaii, a basalt soil. So you need to add everything there where here you can get away with just adding organic material and life into the soil, and it brings it back into the most incredible soil you've ever seen. So I, when I'm trying in my experiments to mimic nature, I'm in a different environment, and there's different rules in every place. So I have a trailer with a nursery filled with aquariums that have different mycorrhizal strains in them, different nitrogen-fixing strains, rhizobias, azotobacters. I have four or five different types of shrimp. 
I have mealworms that are eating styrofoam for some other experiments. I have indoor lights, atmospheric watering systems set up that we're experimenting with. So I'm all about geeking out on it. And I really invite people to geek out on it because that's how we change the world. We start to step and create these paths on whatever it goes on to. But for the other side of the people who don't want to geek out on it, I'm also into creating awesome hippie mentality of just go out into the garden and enjoy it and get your hands dirty. Maybe hippie's not the right word for it, but like really just empowering yourself on being in nature and making that connection and playing a part in the cycle. You are a part of that symbiotic relationship in your time and your stewardship and everything that, you know, you put into it. So yeah, I, I, I think that the idea of taking the technical aspects and setting them to the side. And for those who want to geek out on it, awesome. And for those who want to turn it into cooking, I feel like, yeah, nature empowers us with this innate understanding of itself through just sitting with it and observing it and being a part of it. I kind of have two questions to follow up with on that. You mentioned having a trailer that you have kind of all of these different resources that your system are dependent on in. Are you breeding a lot of the animals and plants that you use in your system so that they're available? Or are you acquiring them commercially through different nurseries and other outlets? So that's an interesting question. What I, what I try to really inspire and I, we teach people to do on some of our courses is to take stock of nature around you. See what's there available. You use the term IMOs, indigenous microorganisms. In any healthy environment around you, most of the creatures that we use in our system are fairly standard and you can collect them in nature. Some of the worms, such as our deep-dwelling worms, Amnethus gracilis, and some of the red worms, we recommend that you buy those from some worm breeding factories so, or, so that you can support them in their endeavors and also start off with a healthy culture. And we teach you how to raise them in small nurseries as well as incorporate them into the bigger pictures within your aquaponic systems and within your permaculture systems. So... Yes, I do raise a lot of the creatures. I make them available locally into the area, but I also use them to demonstrate and show people their cycles so then they can understand, oh, this creature sheds its skin every three weeks, or this creature also eats a dead carrot or kitchen scratch as an earthworm does, and they actually work together in this system. So, yeah, the amphipods, some of the bacterias, some of the uh, azotobacter bacterias, there's companies out there that are creating some of these things, and you can buy some of them online. So it's a combination of buying some things online once you've bought them, holding them in the nursery and culturing them and growing them yourself, as well as being able to recognize through observation and take stock of what's around you in your environment to recognize the healthy areas and also culture from those areas and introduce them into your system as well. Oh, and fish as well. Yeah, we, I, I get stock in Hawaii. I've had stock that I've carried for years and years, 20 or 30 years. I've had some of the same fish and kept them breeding. When we came to Southern California to implement some of our systems over here, I bought fish from good stock companies that had fish and then bred them myself and have been taking care of the culture, as well as also going out to different healthy environments and collecting different cultures, such as fungal and bacteria cultures, mycorrhizal cultures, and uh, bacillus cultures, different uh, beneficial bacterias. So it's been a combination of raising, collecting, 
and purchasing. So you're really working on adapting these systems to the region that you're creating them in by going out and seeking these different local resources. You're then creating a more native system? That's exactly what I try to do. In Hawaii, where I were my experiments, I've been I've had the incredible ability once I moved out of the valley and I realized that I carried some knowledge through these years of observing that could actually help people. I started to set up farms in several different parts of the islands. And in Hawaii, we have just about every ecosystem besides tundra. So I have areas that get almost two inches of rainfall a year and other areas that get 180 inches of rainfall a year. The environments are completely different. So I realized one small farm I had on one side of the island would have a totally different set of rules than a farm on the other side of the island. And constantly hearing about how things differ on the mainland, people would come to Hawaii and they'd try to adapt their permaculture projects from the mainland into Hawaii. And it's a totally different set of rules. You can't just lay carpet down in cardboard in places where things grow at an incredible rate or you have a whole different set of rules to deal with. So these living earth systems, the aquaponic systems and such that we build, they're very similar. Every environment's different. And the idea of having a little a living system that you can follow the same basic recipe and it can adapt to wherever you're at because it's not trying to compete with its natural environment. You're actually utilizing what's balancing its natural environment. And that distinction between environments, it's one of the things that I think about being here in the Northeast. And you moved from Hawaii to California. If I wanted to take one of these natural aquaponic systems and impl implement it here, is that something that I could do? Is, it a, is what you have a model for this kind of a climate, or would it take some experimentation in order to get it working the way that you've established it elsewhere? Okay, so one thing that I probably left out was I was pretty lucky that I got, I was a professional athlete for years through surfing and kite surfing, and I got to travel all over the world. I didn't really do well in the contest because anytime I was in a third world country and there was a bunch of kids chasing me around on my kite board, I eventually went back to their village with them and showed them that they had tilapia in the stream behind their house and how they could build an aquaponic system out of a piece of bucket that we found on the beach. So for me, the idea of being able to build these systems anywhere in the world has been one of my like inspirations as well. And I've helped some people troubleshoot up in the Northeast area. And it's not that different from Northern California or England. There's so many different areas in the world where you can incorporate it. You have a, a slightly different set of rules and you have other things that are available to you that aren't available in some of the other areas. So yes, they're totally utilizable in the Northeast, in the Northwest, in the Southwest, in the Deep South, all over the world. And the rules just simply differ slightly according to you know your consistency. Along with this, in my research for aquaponics in Pennsylvania, now granted these were more of that hydroponic kind of aquaponics system that's a bit more sterile, there are rules and regulations about what we can do with these kinds of systems because of discharge, especially concern if we're using non-native fish varieties and other creatures within those systems. Do you have those kinds of issues in Hawaii when you were setting up your aquaponics systems or have you encountered those in California or elsewhere where you've traveled? So I think that's something important to always take into effect 
In uh, California, I promote uh, Sacramento blackfish, which is a native fish to the area. If you are going to do a system with tilapia or with river prawn in it, then make sure that you do it in a contained area where you don't have those issues, where you're not near a stream bed. If you're near a stream bed and fish could migrate or birds could carry them into a stream near you, then you need to be really conscious and careful that you might want to be using things that either could not survive in that stream or are native to that stream. So I think that I haven't run into too many of those issues myself because like anything, if it's something that's not native to the area, I'm going to isolate it and I'm not going to allow it to get out into the surrounding area. But most of the things I'm talking about utilizing in our system are found everywhere. The amphipods, for instance, and the pill bugs, which are roly polies, the red worm and the amethyst gracilis worms, most of those are found everywhere. There are a couple of zones where even in permaculture, people make the mistake that some earthworms can be detrimental in the really cold zones in Canada where there's certain temperate forests and the worms have actually eaten and destroyed areas because they're not normally in that area. So, yeah, it's something you do have to be conscious of. Okay. And it's just, I think about Pennsylvania, if I were going to be looking for creatures to integrate into the system, I could be looking for something like our brown or brook trout and crayfish, as opposed to some of the others that you might have where you are considerably more west of where I am. And I could also go into my backyard and be digging up and looking for the worms or going to a stream bed and sorting through what's in the mud there to find things to introduce to my system. As long as I'm able to do something like that, that kind of harvesting sustainably and within the bounds of my local community. Great point that you brought up there, because one of the things we teach people to do is called non-invasive harvest. And we've actually developed systems through creating buckets with holes in the bottoms that we can fill with a substrate that we know just lures the worms in, or it lures the pill bugs or the amphipods. Or we can take rice and put it in a jar with a piece of rice paper over it, steamed sterile rice. We can put it under a leaf litter of a healthy tree and come back in two weeks, and there'll be a white mycelium growing on that rice. We can then take that and put it with some milk and create a lactobacillus culture out of it that's an IMO, indigenous to the area. You'll find several techniques on this type of stuff in like Korean farming and Korean farming and IMOs. That's a common subject area I think out there right now that's getting a lot of energy towards regenerative farming. And I've heard that switch recently because it was only two or three years ago that we were talking about BMOs, beneficial microorganisms. And yes, I've heard of this IMO idea emerging into the current conversation. With how diverse your systems are, if someone wanted to get started with this idea, like what direction would you suggest that they go in in order to begin? Or is it really just based on what their own interest is that they could be doing anything from culturing or, you know, raising fish or going out and beginning to do these kinds of non-invasive harvests? Is there a particular place where you think is the easiest for folks to interface with this? I think to start people off right in their yard, right in their neighborhood, to find what looks like a healthy tree and then to go underneath it and look at the leaves and observe. It's one of the lessons we teach is to go under a tree, leave a bucket there with a little bit of blended vegetable scraps and some hay or some straw or something that's going to invite some creatures into it. Leave it there for a week. Come back in a week. See what's there. 
build this relationship. Go there twice a week, lift the leaves up, see what's underneath the rock or the leaves and familiarize yourself with it. Do a little bit of homework. What did I just find? Identify the creatures you found. Once you've identified what a roly-poly is and you actually did a little bit of homework and you see what its role is, you realize, whoa, that's a really beneficial creature in the soil. You have an understanding now of what a beneficial creature is. Some of it's going to be more obvious than others, but that's what I like to do is I like to get people actually interacting and taking stock right in their own yard and then giving them a set of experiments, giving them a bucket and tell, or telling them to throw green grass in a bucket. And if there's enough mass in there, it'll heat up from thermophilic composting, just that nitrogen carbon ratio. So the idea of having this familiarity with it and starting, just starting somewhere The next thing you know, you're immersed in it and you're becoming this ambassador and you want to learn more about it. So that's kind of what we like to suggest just through inspiration and a few examples that we set out there and we try to share with people personally. One question that I want to get to before we move too far along and I don't feel that we can cycle back to it is that you're talking about having worms in your system. And so I'm beginning to imagine that your aquaponic system's actually have soil at the base of them, that you have dirt and other things in your system that the worms are living in beneath the water. Is that an appropriate imagination of this? Or is there something else going on there that integrates the land into the water? Okay, so the systems that I have that mimic biomimicry, if there were sand on the edge of a stream bed and the worms got in it and they started eating the leaves that were deposited in it, it would eventually be soil. So you're right. In a system that we build, eventually soil builds within the system. Instead of using clay balls, we're using the natural rock that's crushed in your area that's normally used as a base fill in a, for concrete or anything else. In almost every area you can go into, there's rock quarries that create base coarse gravel. That's what the base of our system is, is whatever the natural rock in your area is. And so the worms tend to eat pieces of that rock and use it in their gizzard and break it, use it to break material down. So all of our systems, they're based on in the ground regenerative farming and the aquaponic systems are one facet of them. So the same worms we're using to migrate over the property and we're using them with all our systems also live within all of the gravel beds of the aquaponic system. The baskets that the plants are planted in, they're planted in a medium of, in Hawaii, we use coconut husk, local crushed rock, and then we inoculate that with some of our mycorrhizal cultures and some of our different beneficial bacteria. And then we also, we set that medium inside a worm bin and let the worms migrate right up into it. And then we plant everything in that medium. So yes, the worms live in the system. They go, they live in the gravel, but they also live underwater. One of the experiments in my room is I hold earthworms in jars with aerators in them. And I've been able to keep earthworms underwater for up to six months, feeding them underwater and allowing them underwater to actually eat plant material. They breathe through their skin, so they actually don't need to be above the water. They can live directly in the water for most of their life. So these worms migrate within the system. And I also have to tell you, we use three different types of worms at least. We use subterranean deep-dwelling earthworms. 
We use mid-level earthworms and composting worms, which are the leaf litter worms. We talk about that a lot on our website, and we try to make all that information available out there to people so they can educate themselves. And we also show people where you can grab that stuff so you can start with that. But yeah, the worms do live in the system. And rather than a system with the clay balls that you're constantly having to flush out and remove the organic material, our systems actually integrate the organic material that's moved around into it to become part of the system. So in that way, you're producing no waste. To a certain extent, we do have sediment tanks that we take the bulk of the solid waste fish manure from. There's still always some that cycles through the system, which is the perfect amount for the plants to take in. And as the, the worms actually eat the dead roots of plants in the gravel beds and such. So the waste that goes into the settlement tanks, we then flush that out into our worm beds along with, we also grow quite a bit of biomass. Biomass being azola or duckweed or water hyacinths different biomass we grow within the system, we usually take the excess of that along with the solids that are caught in the sediment tank, and we throw that in bins to be turned into soil or worm castings. So there is no waste. Everything actually just creates a byproduct of something else. So we do a small system that we've done for some schools, and I don't think I have the numbers on me right here, but it's basically a 600-gallon system. It does 350 heads of lettuce every six weeks. It pulls 150 pounds of tilapia every eight months to a year. And it also produces enough fertilizer for their outdoor class garden, which grows another whole amount of food. And it produces red worms for the entire situation. I think they're even selling some of the red worms, one of the schools in particular on Maui, with just a small system that runs off a solar panel and is filled with rainwater. So the idea that you can take these systems, you can have, because they're not so sterile, sort of a relationship to your own little slice of nature, and you can even do them in a parking lot in an inner city, or you can take the same system to a thousand acre farm and scale it up and do the opposite of what most of the conventional farming has been doing, which is like trading our soil for product. Now, you mentioned a website. If somebody wanted to go there to find out more, to read about what, we what we've talked about today, what is that URL? Our website is called livingearthsystems.com. There's a lot of complexity here as I listen to all the bacterial relationships, the worms that you use, and everything else. Is all that information available on your website, or do you have a book that you've written about this? Because I think that what you're doing is really fascinating and would really complement a lot of the literature that's appearing on the market right now about integrated farms to have an integrated aquaculture reference. So we have a series of books that we're working on right now, and we're right on the edge of our release. And we're not sure if we're going to release them first as eBooks or how that works. We have some online courses. We have quite a few blogs. I think we were actually just, we got a golden seal from a company that rated us as one of the top 40 best composting blogs in the world, and we got the 11th best composting blog in the world by their standard. So we felt really good about that. That's <laughs> cool. So we try to put out blogs regularly and information, and we do Twitter and Instagram, and we're constantly just putting facts out there and inspiration for people and free stuff, a lot of it, and soon we'll be letting our books go.
Well, I really appreciate everything you've shared with us, Eddie, to give us an introduction to this idea of integrated aquaculture that has nature mimicry at its roots. But as we draw this interview to a close, I was wondering if you have any final thoughts for the listeners, any additional information about how they might get involved or learn more if they're interested, or just anything else that you think that we should know about you or your projects. Thanks. We make ourselves really available. Anybody feel free to email me at eddie at livingearthsystems.com. One of the things that I didn't mention much, we're talking about aquaponic systems, but we do aquaponic systems on a very on a large scale. And one of the most important parts of them for us are aesthetics. Too many farms have been set up around functionality and not aesthetics. And I believe that's kind of a missing link. So from swimming pools that we turn into biological swimming pools and incorporate them into micro farms to large farms or even small aquaponic systems to have the beauty aspect to it and to incorporate it with aesthetics and something that looks and feels like a garden rather than I don't know what the word I'm looking for, uh, getting rid of the sterility. That's a key point that we want to stress to people. As you create your systems or if you're inspired to do it, try to make them beautiful. Try to think out of the box and because you're even more inspiring to others that way. I think that's a really important note to include because it's one of the conversations within permaculture is that mimicking nature as closely as possible visually does not necessarily appeal to our neighbors and those folks around us. So sometimes can make it hard to convince people that these systems matter and that finding something somewhere in between that is ecologically functional, but also visually beautiful to the human eye can really draw in and attract more people. I'm in total agreement with you. I think that having something look beautiful, for me, it's kind of a no brainer because nature is beautiful. So if I've done it properly and holistically, and I've tried to take in all the different aspects of it, then it's going to be beautiful. It's when I make it look like a farm and I have tractors and pipes and ugly stuff all around or it doesn't have order to it. Just some, I don't know, there's just, there's a, just a, a different feeling. So mimicking nature, I think, is pretty easy to make aesthetic if you think out of the box and you really want to go for mimicking it. And that was Eddie Garcia of Living Earth Systems. You can find out more about him at livingearthsystems.com and you can see examples of the natural aquaponics systems at Instagram.com slash Living Earth Systems. What I really like about this system is Eddie's reliance on biology over technology and that the technology that he does use can be scavenged, scrounged, or in other ways be created in order to work off-grid, while still being productive and also aesthetically pleasing. By favoring biology, we have a system that can continue to reproduce itself. As Eddie alludes to in his work of breeding, the bacteria, fungi, and fish that are needed for the system, as well as having sustainable, non-destructive harvesting practices that rely on very little equipment, just a bucket and some paper, or you could use leaf litter or a number of other natural local components in order to draw into your system what it is that you're looking for. We talk about these ideas a lot when it comes to land-based systems, such as saving seed, or working with animals so that they can reproduce. But here's a complete system from the water up that we can work with to collect everything we need to have a productive aquaponic system. And that then with a little bit of labor and a few additional components, we can get running. And if we want to, we can be as nerdy as we'd like, getting into balancing pH with test strips and 
checking this and checking that and doing research, or we can approach it in a casual way. And I think that removes a lot of the intimidation. We can play, we can experiment, and we can create. After listening to what Eddie's laid out here, do you want to create an aquaponic system of your own? If so, do you have some thoughts on what that would look like? Or if you already have an aquaponic system, do you want to send some pictures to me? Or share what that experience has been like? Whatever you have, wherever you are, feel free to get in touch. Visit thepermaculturepodcast.com and click on contact to send me a message. I'd love to hear from you. Until we meet again, spend each day creating the world that you want to live in by taking care of Earth, yourself, and each other. The Permaculture Podcast is a production of Permaneo Group. Find out more about the Permaculture Podcast, including the extensive archives, by visiting our website, thepermaculturepodcast.com. Learn more about Permaneo Group and other projects at permaneogroup.com.